that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that you send out your word and it cannot return to you void without accomplishing that for which you sent it. Lord, as your word goes like seed today into our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, that it would find good soil, fertile soil for it to be planted in the heart in our hearts so that it would produce a wonderful harvest of blessing, Lord, that glorifies you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, in these moments, when we think about your word, when we think about how to apply it to our lives, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word, how to engage with it in faith and trust. Lord, as we do that, I pray, your power would go into operation, that you would help us and enable us to go forward into our future, apprehending everything, taking hold of everything that you have taken hold of us for. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus another shout of praise. Before you sit down and let's thank our musicians again today. What a blessing they are to us. Wasn't that wonderful to see our young people, those pictures, and just to see Dean and Michelle and the, the leaders that look after our youth. What a great blessing this church is. And um, like Faye said, you know, we should never, ever, and I know we don't, we should never, ever take one another for granted. I thank God for... The, the house that I've been allowed to be in, this family, I thank God for every single one of you. The blessing that you are to our lives, what a joy it is to be in a family, in God's family. And, you know, I think we should always take time and moments through the week just to thank God for one another. I think it's important. I think it should be a good practice that we should all give ourselves to. You know, just at some point in every week, just to say thank you for your family. Just to say thank you for the family of God that Jesus has brought you into. Yes, you may have made the choice to come, but I'm telling you, he was behind that choice, steering you all the way through, all the way through the obstacles and difficulties into this place. It's his design for your life, and it's important that we recognize that and give him thanks for it. So why don't we give him an, a round of applause for doing that? Thank him. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Wonderful. Well, this morning and uh, probably into next week, I want to talk to you today about making God's word the final authority in our lives. Making God's word the final authority in our lives. I think if we went around this room this morning and asked each of us if we wanted to have God's blessing on our lives, the answer would be yes. I think if we, if we ask the question, listen, do you want to live in God's best? Do you want to live in that abundant life that Jesus died to provide? The answer would be yes. And if we want to live in that abundant life, if we want to live under God's blessing and continue in God's favor, we have to ensure that God's word 
is the final authority in our lives. And we're going to see what that means today. Every decision that we make and the directions that we often take in life have to come under the scrutiny of God's Word. Our decisions, some of the, the vital, important decisions that come to us when we're at the juncture, when we're at the road, when we're, when, when we're faced with many different directions to go in, when we're at that point of making a decision, of taking a new direction, that decision and that direction has to come under the examination of God's Word, doesn't it? In order for us to retain God's blessing on our lives, in order to continually walk under his favor, his word has to be paramount in what we do in our lives. It really does. It's so important. Sometimes the word of God will come and it will contradict the decision that you want to make. Surprise, surprise. Sometimes you'll want to go in one direction and the word of God will be pressing on your conscience conscience pressing in your mind, pressing in your heart, telling you not to go in the way that you've decided to go. And it's in those times, crucial times, where we have to obey the word of God. Your feelings will rage against it, but your faith is strong enough and big enough to counteract all of those feelings and step out and obey God's word to see the blessings and the abundances that Jesus has promised. God's word has to be the final authority in our lives if we are going to apprehend and take hold of what Jesus has taken hold of us for. It's so important. It has to be the deciding factor. Do you know, right into the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer said this about the word of God. He said, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide that which is soulish and spirit, and it, it can even judge the intents and the thoughts and the motives of the heart. Our thoughts, our feelings, our intents have to be judged that's not a bad thing. The voice of God's word stands as a judge when you want to make a decision, when you want to go in a certain direction. Listen to its judgment. Don't forsake it. Don't ignore it. If you're going to, if you're going to apprehend what God's apprehended you for, especially in the days that we live in church, we have to live and, and hear and listen to the judgment, the final judgment of God's word when it comes to our direction, our decisions, and our, our, our motivations in life. And if they fall outside of God's word, I tell you now, adjust to God's word. Don't try and adjust and butcher God's word and try and make it fit into your decisions and your directions. No. Let the word of God reign and rule in our hearts. Let it be that final judge. Let it be that green light in your life or that red light. Whatever it says to you or I, whatever it tells us to address, whatever attitude it tells us to deal with, we have to listen to it. Not because God's a control freak, but because he loves us. 
He wants us to grow. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to prosper. And he wants you to come into everything that he has for you. He really does. And me too. But very often, our feelings... Our feelings rage and rail against that word. And sometimes other external voices, even people's voices, will, will actually contradict. And the advice they give you will contradict the word that God speaks to you. Stand with the word of God, church. Stand with the word of God. Stand with the promises of God. Peter put it like this. He said, we've been given precious Great, he said, we've been given great and precious promises by which, through which, we become partakers of the divine nature. What a blessing. What a promise. Close your ears to all of those contrary voices, even the voice of your own feelings. And even the voice of past experience, shut your mind to it, shut your ears to it, and hold on to the word of God and follow it and obey it and fulfill it. Oh, and the blessing that will come as a result will be glorious and abundant. Making God's word, making God's word the final authority in our lives. David in Psalm 119 wrote 175 verses about the Word of God and how precious it is. He talked about his deep craving desire to understand it and to obey it and to follow it and to change and address every life issue that was, that, that was trying to hold him back. The whole of Psalm 119, all of its 175 verses are about pursuing and apprehending and holding on to the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, he says this, talking about this word. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What was David saying? He was saying, I need this, this word. I need this light for every step I take. I can't afford to take one step anymore without the instruction and the guidance and the illumination of that word. I need it for every step. But not only do I need it for every step that I take on a daily basis, I need it for way on down the road. I need it to be that shining light. I need it as a lamp, but I need it as a light to ensure that my direction and my course is correct. Oh, the wonderful blessing of God's word. The wonderful blessing of God's word to our lives. You never have to take a step out of place. Doesn't mean to say we're, we're perfect, we stumble and fall in many ways, James says. But, you know, every step that we take can be illuminated by that word. Our interactions with people, the difficulties and the perplexities that, that occur sometimes in our lives that we don't understand and we don't know how to respond to. There's, there's a lamp for that area. God's word. Or the bigger questions about our future, where we're going, how we're going to arrive there. There's light. 
There's light on your path, child of God. There really is. Now, over this week, we're going to look at making God's word the final authority in our lives. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. And we're going to see in this, in this wonderful scene where Jesus meets Peter, some amazing lessons that we can learn from this encounter that Peter has with Jesus. Because this isn't just, you know, a miracle that's going to wow us that we see happening in Peter's boat. This isn't just a story that's recounted in biblical history. It is that, but... There's lessons to learn from this encounter. There's timeless truths that are packed in this story. There are principles that can guide us, that can help us on our journey, on our course as we follow Christ and as we walk in his blessing. Let's read together from verse 1 through to verse 11. Luke chapter 5. So it was... As the multitude pressed about him, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Amazing story, an amazing miracle. But like I've said, this miracle that we've read about, this instance that Peter has with Jesus in the boat is not just recorded in the Bible to wow us. It does that. It's incredible. It shows us that Jesus' power can reach beyond any life circumstance it shows us that Jesus' power is not limited, is not constricted to time, and it's not bound by any circumstances. Jesus can reach into any life situation and bring order and bring blessing, and, and he can even reverse 
situations that have occurred in our lives. But it's not just simply there to wow us. It's there to demonstrate to us that God's, God's word and God's power can even reach into all of the areas that we struggle with and fail in. And we're going to see that as we look back at this time where Peter was in a situation with Jesus. How Jesus met him, how Jesus reached him. And we'll learn how he can reach and, and how this, this very power and this work of his spirit can extend even into our lives as we face our challenges and the circumstances that we may be in. Now I'm going to give you three observations that I saw from this story, three truths that I picked up from this, this story this morning. And they're going to help us understand what was going on and they're going to help us to see how these things can apply in our lives too. First, first of all, we're going to see how Peter had struggled all night and caught nothing. He had a night of struggle. But then we're going to see how Jesus brought him into a new day of surrender. And then on from that day of surrender, how Jesus commissioned him and his friends into a future of service. A night of struggle. A new day of surrender. And then commissioned for a life of service. Firstly, let's look at this first point, going through a night of struggle. Going through a night of struggle. Have you ever gone through a season of struggle? Have you ever gone through a season where you're trying to do your best? You're trying to put all of the right work and right commitments in to achieving a desired result? But all it seems to be happening is that you're struggling. All that seems to be happening is that you're not producing what you're hoping to produce. And it's hard and it's laborsome and it's difficult. Every single one of us in this room have known those times. Maybe today you're in that night of struggle. Maybe today you're going through that period that is hard, that is difficult. And there's a story that's relevant to us from this. This story is relevant to us from this because every single one of us know the difficulties, know the challenges, know the struggles of life on a daily basis. Struggle. Putting in much, getting out little, putting in all of your effort, trying to do your best, coming away with nothing. What happens when that happens? You get disappointed. You get disillusioned. You feel defeated. You feel as if, you know, there is no point in going on and keeping on and doing what you're doing. And this is the situation that Peter was in. He had gone through a night of struggle. Now, it wasn't because they hadn't worked hard. It wasn't because they hadn't put the commitment in. It wasn't because... You know, they just decided to give up. 
halfway through the night. No, they had worked the night hard. They had worked everything. They'd used all of their experiences, all of their past experience, brought it to the table, and they thought that they were going to produce a result. But at the end of it, they caught nothing. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why they went fishing in the night was because that was the most optimum time to catch fish. In the night, the fish swam near the surface. In the, you, didn't, you didn't fish in the day because that's the hottest time of the day and that's when fish go right to the bottom of the lake. And they knew this. So they choose the most optimum time, the most favorable moment to catch fish. And on other occasions, their nets would have been full. As they threw their nets out, they would have pulled in and hauled in great numbers of fish. But on this night, they caught nothing. On this night, in their most optimum time to do what they were doing, their efforts produced nothing. And it speaks to us, and it, it points out to us that sometimes there are situations in our lives where we do our best, and we, we, we think, do you know what? This is the moment that, that is going to be favorable for me to do what I'm doing. And as a result, we try our best, we work our hardest, and it, it yields no results. And at the end of that, disappointment can set in. Disillusionment can set in. Hardship can come. We can become downcast. In fact, I think it's Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What is he saying? He's saying that you had great expectation. You had great ambitions in life to do something. You, you, you gave your life in a given direction to, to produce an outcome, but at the end of it, Nothing was produced. And in that kind of situation, your heart is left sick. These disciples had gone through a night of struggle. They'd caught nothing. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that even Jesus is Lord over the night of struggle? He really is. Now, I want to tell you just, we'll change direction a little bit. Cheer you up a bit for a minute. I want to tell you a story about three men from this church who went fishing. One of them was Tony Davis. What a fisherman. The other one was Neil. Stand up, Neil. Let's give him a round of applause. Come on, Neil. Let's cheer him up, Neil. <laughs> He's not going to be smiling by the end of this story, I can tell you, because he knows what's coming. And the other one was our own Andreas. We all know Andy and Siobhan. Andy's not here today. He's, um, he's in a christening. I would have loved to have done this when Andy was here. But unfortunately, he's, he's at a christening today. Well, this is how the story goes. Tony and Neil caught a cold. But Andy caught a fish. 
can we have a look at Andy's fish? Look, can you see that fish? I mean, that is a monster. Look at that. Isn't that fantastic? Look at that. Now look at the smile on his face. That's not hope deferred. That's hope fulfilled. A big fish. But Neil and, and Tony, well, I did have pictures of them. They were on the knees crying. And Andy was rubbing it in. But the point is, listen, the point is, right? When you go out and you have an expectation and that expectation is fulfilled, you're elated, you're overjoyed, you're lifted by it. But when your hope is deferred and you feel that maybe even God hasn't noticed what you're doing and God could have possibly left you and there's not favor on your life like somebody else, that's when despair can set in. And these men were wanting to catch a fish like Andy. But their nets, their nets were empty at the end of it. Now, the amazing thing is they come into a new day and they've been washing their nets. Their boats were just standing there. And Jesus, Jesus is ministering to people. Jesus is doing God's work, kingdom work. And the crowds are so vast. The crowds are pressing. They want to hear what Jesus is talking about. He's speaking the word of God to them. And suddenly, he does something amazing. He simply gets into Peter's boat. Now, don't miss this because it's so simple that very often some of the most simple Steps that we see Jesus taking and men and women of faith taking, those simple steps behind them is hidden. A process that leads us towards great blessing. It really is. Jesus just steps into Peter's boat. What is Jesus doing? And this is the second point that we're going to look at now. Because, because Peter and the disciples had gone through a night of surrender uh, gone through a night of struggle, now Jesus is going to lead them into a new day of surrender. A new day of surrender. Peter, uh, Jesus gets into Peter's boat. And he says to Peter, this is the first little step that Jesus requires Peter to make. Then he got into one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Jesus is gradually leading Peter to surrender his life. He doesn't ask him to take a big giant step. He doesn't ask you and me to take big huge steps in this life of surrender. It's like a parent trying to teach a toddler to walk. They take a few steps, they fall over. They take a few more, but gradually what is the parent doing? It's teaching them a new process by which to walk, by which to grow in 
And this is what Peter, this is what Jesus was doing to Peter. He was saying, without saying it, he was saying, Peter, I need your boat. And not only do I need your boat, I need you to stop washing your nets because that's what he was doing. And I need you to attend to my work now. I need you to come into this boat and I'm going to ask you to pull out a little way from land. And that's what Peter does. He just obeys. He doesn't object. He doesn't get somebody else to do it. He just simply obeys Jesus. And Peter doesn't know where Jesus is taking him. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen at the end of the day as he just simply obeys Jesus and submits and surrenders to his word. So in the midst of it, he surrenders. And it's just such a small step. And they're just out from land a little bit. Peter's boat wasn't usually used in this manner. Peter's life was wrapped up in that boat. It was his business. It wasn't used for, for, for this kind of work. He was a fisherman. This was a fishing boat. And yet he submits and he allows Jesus to use what he has. What's the message? What's the application to our lives? Well, maybe Jesus is asking to use something that you own, just like he asked Peter to use something that he owned. It could be your home for one of our connect groups. It could be, it could be your car to collect somebody on the way to church or take them to connect group. It could be a kind word, a kind action in, in an unkind environment. What is Jesus asking? What is Jesus requiring of you? For Peter, it was a boat. For you, it could be a number of things. Or you might be unsure today, but in the days to come, it's going to become more and more clear what Jesus is asking of you. And then it's going to be a decision. Am I going to allow this word to be the final voice, the final authority in my life and go ahead and do it and lay down my life, open my home, open my car, allow him in, access to all areas? Because I guarantee you the word of God will come to you, the call of Christ will come to you at the most inconvenient moment. It will interrupt what you're doing. And when it interrupts what you're doing and what I'm doing, we are faced with a decision. Am I going to leave my nets and stop cleaning them and stop attending to the work that I've got to do and attend to the work of Jesus? Or am I going to just, you know, continue on with what I want to do? Well, The challenge is when the word of God interrupts, when the word of God comes at a most inconvenient moment, it's then that we want to rise and obey. It's then that we want to come at it with no objections, but simply surrender to it. Because do you know what? At the end of our obedience is not only our own blessing, but the blessing of many others too. It really is. 
Now, Jesus is taking Peter on a little journey. He knows the boys have had great disappointment in the night. He knows the boys have, you know, not produced much. All their expectations have been dashed. They just want to get home and go to sleep. They just want, to, want Jesus to, you know, possibly. Peter wanted Jesus just to wrap his sermon up quickly. But he sat there in Peter's boat, man, and Peter's there. Great blessing. Great blessing. Hear me good. Great blessing is found in simple service. Simple service. Later, Jesus would reveal to them on another occasion, you're faithful in small things, you'll be master of much. You're unfaithful in the small, you'll never be trusted with much. He who wants to be the great has to become the least. What was Peter doing in the boat? Becoming the least. Nobody was looking at Peter. Everybody was looking at Jesus. I said, Peter, just keep the boat straight. Great blessing. Great blessing results and comes as a result of simple service. Simple service. So... Jesus, I reckon Jesus was preaching up a storm, man. Just loving it. All the people there, I mean, you're not going to jump in a boat and sit down and just, you know, teach and preach and deliver your word for a couple of minutes. He's been probably in this boat. It wouldn't be unreasonable to think for a couple of hours. And Peter's, man, he's had a night of struggle. And now Jesus, man, he's, I mean, he wanted to wash his nets. Jesus has pulled him out of what he's doing. It's come and it's cut into his interests and it's inconvenient and it's an interruption. But Peter's just there and he doesn't realize the small step that he's taken to great blessing. Obedience, obedience. Simple, hard, yes. Cuts against the grain, yes. Do your feelings rage against following God? Yes, but your faith is big enough, strong enough to contend with every contrary feeling within you that wars against the word of God. Your faith is strong enough to take the step. Peter's in the boat, Jesus is preaching, and then the moment comes, Jesus wraps it all up. Step number two, Peter. There's a rhythm to the way that God leads us. We would think that faith is one big giant leap. No, it's a series of many, many minute faithful steps by the people of God. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. If you think you're going to go like this in the kingdom of God, I'm telling you now, you've got another thing coming. It's this many times. And sometimes it's this, it's a series of small steps that God examines, that God requires, that God chooses us to walk in and test us in, that enables us, that enables us to apprehend the promises that God has for us. That's why the writer to the Hebrew says, it's through faith and patience. 
patience. And Peter patiently waited in that boat. Peter patiently served Jesus in his interest and forsook his own interests. Now the time came, Jesus wraps it up. He says, Peter, I'm going to take you on another little step now. Let's, let's go and launch out into the deep. Verse 4. When he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. See how he's taking Peter in these little steps. You see, this wasn't just about ministering to the crowds. This wasn't just about giving God's word to a multitude of people. Jesus did that. But his life and his mind wasn't so immersed in pleasing crowds of people that he couldn't attend to one person that had had a really hard night. That's what's wonderful about Jesus. He's awesome. We just see the crowds. We just see the masses. We're impressed and enamored by the numbers. Jesus looks at the one. And that doesn't mean to say he dismisses the, the multitude. He loves us all. But the, the, the mass is as important, or the individual is, is as, as important as the mass. And now he attends and he turns his attention to Peter and he leads him in another little step of surrender. Come on, boy. Let's go out into the deep. What was he doing? He was leading Peter back to the place of failure, back to the place of, of defeat, back to the place where he had been disappointed, leading him back into that water. And Jesus gives Peter two steps in one statement. Set out for the deep, throw down the net. Two steps requiring faith, requiring obedience without objection. Jesus isn't going to do it. The miracle that you're seeking, right? You just think that miracle, I sometimes think that miracle is going to just drop from heaven. Don't think so. You, you take that thinking and you, you, you examine it under the light of God's word and you'll see that that is never the case. Jesus always comes with his word and then he expects us to work out that word and flesh it out and walk it out and make it the deciding factor in our lives. And that's what he was doing here. If Peter had said, no, Lord, sorry, too much disappointment back there. No, Lord, I'm not going back out into that deep water. It's the middle of the day, man. We've tried all night. We're not going back there. What a waste of time. I need to get back to my nets and attend to my business. Jesus, you stick to what you're good at. I'll stick to what I'm good at. I'm going back. Do you know what? Jesus, I believe, I'm telling you now, Jesus would not have contended with him. No, this was a requirement and a step of faith that Peter had to make. And if Peter had interrupted with Jesus and said, listen, I'm not going back out into that place. It, 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 it's, there's too much disappointment there. Peter's life would have been greatly hindered and he would have missed the blessing. But he doesn't. 
Peter raises an objection, but that's fine. Jesus is leading him now in this new day of surrender. And verse 5, he says this, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. The key phrase, the key statement from those lines, from, those, from that verse is this, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When God speaks his word to you, you have to engage your will. You have to engage your will with the word of God. Even though it seems illogical, even though it seems unfavorable, even though it seems as if you've gone it back into a place that, that brings back memories of defeat and disappointment and disillusionment, you have to go back there if God's leading you there. And you have to do it his way and you have to engage your will with the word of God in order to see the blessing and the promise and the miracle that Jesus is bringing you towards and into. This is what we see here. Nevertheless, he says, they get out into the deep. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And he lets it down. The night before, he'd thrown that net hundreds of times. Hundreds of times they'd thrown it out, pulled it in, thrown it out, pulled it in. But now Jesus, the Lord, the one that knows no limitation in any given circumstance or situation in life is saying, throw it down. We may have tried to do things in our own strength and it's brought us no return. It's brought us no blessing. And we think it's over. We can't, you know, we can't do this anymore. I can't go back to that situation. I can't achieve anything. But I'm telling you now, if he leads you back there, just like he led Peter back there, and he says, let it down. Best to obey. Best to obey. Best to listen. I remember an occasion in my life. How long we been? Oh, we got, got another two hours yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now we're going to wrap up soon. I promise. I can smell my dinner burning. Remember a situation in my life. And you know, whenever you, 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 you speak, you're always trying to, to, um, to bring your own life into it. It's always got to somehow apply to where you've been and to who you are and even where you want to go as a person. And I tried to look at it. I tried to examine it in that way. And I remember a situation in my life where I'd been unemployed for six months. You could say I'd gone through a season of struggle. And I was qualified as a fabricator welder in engineering. There was just no work, absolutely none. I, I tried my hardest every week, maybe two or three times a week, to go to the job center. I'd look on the board. I'd have the conversation with, with those that, that, that were in the job center. And every time, you know, the news would be, no, there's no job. There's nothing available to you. 
And you know, over a period of time, you get disappointed. You feel defeated. And you just feel as if the, you, you feel as if it's not going to change. A night of struggle, a season of hardship. I wanted to provide. I wanted to, to, to have a career. And then one day, in comes my grandfather. David, my boy, I've got you a job. I said, Gramp, stop it. Right? I was annoyed, man. Like, I thought he's winding me up. I said, Gramp, just stop it. What are you on about? What are you talking about? He said, well, he said, I was going through Bryn Mawr on the bus. And I looked over to a building and there was a sign, Maxwell Engineering. And the Lord said to me, Dave, there's a job in that office for David. I said, Gramp, I said, you are winding me up. I tell you now, man, right? What does a coal miner, what does a coal miner know about welding and engineering? What does a carpenter know about fishing? Gramp, stop it. David, there's a number, boy. I've written it down for you. Give him a ring, go get your job. I said, Gramp, stop it. I argued with him. I said, you know, and, and, it, and again, it, it, bring, it makes it real. It's like, it's like Peter. It's like Peter objecting slightly to Jesus' direction when he said, we've toiled all night. What was he saying when he, he used that word toil? He said, we've, we've labored much and our efforts have produced absolutely nothing. I'd labored for six months and now my grandfather with ease comes up to me and hands me a piece of paper with a number on it and says, go get your job. But God was speaking through that uneducated minor. Maybe I had too much education or what I thought, logic, reason, as to why. It, and this uneducated minor comes up who knew the voice of the Spirit because he'd done exactly the same to my brother four years before. And my brother argued and fought and railed against a revelation, but he, it set him out in a job and in a career, and now it was being offered and held out in his hand. He said, Dave, he said, I can only give you the opportunity to ring this number. You've got to step out. I can't do it for you. You've got to step out and believe and take the, the step of faith. I rang the number. Oh, Hello. Uh, my name's David, and I'm a, I'm a fabricator welder. And I just wondered if you, had, if you had any jobs. The woman, right, she said, um, um, oh, I don't really know what to say. How have you found out that we have a vacancy going? Because our, our two directors were just talking half an hour ago about employing a welder fabricator, and um, we haven't told anybody yet. How do you know? I said, well, um, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't have the bottle to say Jesus. Jesus told her. Jesus told my grandfather. Right? I just said, oh, my grandfather was going past and he took your number down. But you know what? I went on to have an interview. 
by, 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 the end of the, uh, by the end of the next day, I was, I was employed. I was working in Aberdeer. And I worked there for three years. And that paved the way for me to go to Bible school. Telling you, God can do it. God will do it. He takes you from, he takes you from a season of struggle and he brings you into a new day, a new day of surrender. But you've got to surrender. You've got to obey without objection, without a fight. You've got to do it. Finally, Jesus commissioned Peter into a future of service. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Luke 5, verse 8 to 11. We see Peter's response. It's amazing. You see, Jesus didn't really want to enter Peter's boat. He wanted to enter his life. He wanted to show him just by this... Oh, who's ringing me? Oh, serious. Jesus... Jesus wanted to enter his life. He did. When Simon Peter saw it, it says he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought, the, brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Listen, the message at the end of it all was that Jesus now was commissioning Peter and these disciples to a new level of service with their lives. They were going to leave this, this vocation of fishing for fish. Now Jesus suddenly had that moment where he could reveal a higher dimension of service for their lives. They'd taken one step, or Peter had taken one small step after another small step. And then suddenly, they'd landed in this wonderful place of abundance. Peter is hauling it in. The, the, the net is breaking. And the abundance and the blessing that God, Jesus, gave to Peter not only resulted in Peter being blessed, but he called and signaled. See, God will bless you and God will, God will bring great abundance into your life, not just solely for you. It'll overflow and increase so that you can bless other people too. That's what God said to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. The blessing doesn't stay with us. The blessing extends and reaches out to many others. What a life this is. And Peter was experiencing this in the first moments, the first meetings. These were the first moments of their meetings really with Jesus. 
It was early on in Jesus' ministry, and now he was revealing to them right at the outset, revealing to them who he was, what he could do. And they were astonished to the point, listen, that they were not, by the time they got back to the shore, they weren't captured by the amount of fish that they hauled in and brought to shore. The Bible says, we've read it, that they left it. The fish weren't the issue anymore. Even catching such an abundance had no effect on them. It was the revelation of who Jesus was. They left, they left the catch to follow Jesus. Amen. Finally today, what's the net that you've got to lie, the, 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 the net that you've got to lay down? What is the net today? that you've got to let down, sorry. What is the net that you've got to let down? You've been taken back into a place of disappointment, a place of struggle. What is that net? Maybe it's a net of forgiveness. And you said, but Lord, I've been in this place before. I'm disappointed. I've cast that net hundreds of times, thousands of times over the years, and it's never yielded any results. And Jesus through this word today, is saying, lower the net again. Keep lowering it for a catch. And that catch, that hall of abundance could be a restored relationship, a rekindling of love. That's the application. That's the power of this word, that when you take it and you, you, you make God's word the final authority in your life and you step out in faith and you let down that net, I'm telling you, it's amazing what can happen. It really is. Restored relationship, renewed love, new trust. Maybe you feel you've been out in that water and it, it's, it's been as if you've been betrayed, caught nothing in the darkness of the night. Now Jesus says, let down the net. But Lord, we've toiled here before. We've worked hard. I've labored so hard in this issue. No, listen, let down the net. Let down the net. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it in the past. It doesn't matter if it's been hundreds of times, thousands of times that you've done it in your own strength and produced nothing. Let it down. Let it down for a catch. And you'll be amazed at what God does. I'm telling you, God applies his word to each and every one of us in different ways. But it's important it's important that we have an appropriate response when God speaks to us. Don't rely on your feelings. Don't rely on those external voices that would tell you to give up. Don't rely even on your reason from the past, collected experience that's speaking you to do something in a certain way. No. Listen to God's word. Do what he says. And you will see the blessing and the power and the miracle of his word work in your life. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise for his word today. We thank you, Jesus. You're the miracle worker. Lord, we thank you that as you apply your word to our lives and as you speak to us, through your written word and through the voice of your spirit, I pray that you would find a corresponding faith in our hearts, just like Peter, 
where he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will. I pray that our wills would engage with your word and we would walk out even though our feelings may rail against it, even though external voices may contradict, even though that word may come as an interruption and it may seem inconvenient. Lord, I pray that the faith in our hearts would rise on through all of these obstacles and we would obey you without objection. I ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.